Hi there, my name is Erica Browning, and I am blown away by all the places your nursing degree can take you. Here, we showcase basic nurses doing some really cool things. My goal is to bring to you ideas, options, and inspiration. Think of this as a fun conversation with a friend where you laugh a ton and leave feeling encouraged and empowered. That nursing degree you worked so hard for is just the beginning. I'm here to show you what is possible. This is the Black Sheep Nurse Podcast. Hi, Rosina. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm so excited I get to talk to you. I know. Well, you may not know this. So this week, um, just so everyone knows, uh, episode, we're recording this now. It probably will not air for many weeks until now. But the episode that dropped this week was of our mutual friend, uh, Gina, who is a flight nurse yes. and uh, Rosina, she said, you know, I was asking for maybe recommendations and she said, oh, my friend Rosina, she does ECMO. I said, ECMO? Like nurses do ECMO? I thought it was only perfusionists or otherwise someone else, not nurses. She said, yes. And I said, oh my goodness, will she talk to me? And <laughs> said, let me ask. And so here we are today. You said, yes, there Rosina, thank you. You're welcome. I love Gina. And I was just saying earlier, I wish I could do what she does. I think what she does is amazing, you know, but I did say I'm a little bit more of a, a motion sickness kind of person. So could not get on no plane. Right. But I love what she does. She's amazing. Yeah. So for everyone listening now, um, Rosina is a, an ECMO nurse, but let's back this train up. All right. Tell everyone, where are you from and where okay. are you currently located? All right. I grew up in Southern California, really small town called Fillmore. Um, it's probably like 8,000 people when I grew up, really small place. Um, now I live in closer to Los Angeles and I work in pediatrics in Los Angeles hospital. Okay. So you grew up in Southern California. You got into nursing. How did you get into nursing? Oh, really weird. Um, I did not know I was going to be a nurse. I never knew anything about the medical field. It was not something that was in my preview. I didn't know anyone that was in the medical field. I am the youngest of seven. So there's a lot of us. We all went to college, all graduated, all did professions, but nursing was a really interesting journey for me. So I went to school up in Northern California, UC Berkeley, actually, because I thought I was going to do computer animation. Mm. This was like 1997. I thought I was going to be like, it was when computers, I was like probably the first person in my family to like grew up with a computer in high school or in, in your home kind of thing. So I was like, oh my God, if we could only draw on this. So I went up to UC Berkeley to be a computer scientist, which I bombed at, not my thing. But I didn't, there wasn't even a computer scientist or a computer animation at the time. Ironically, down the street, Pixar was just evolving. Who would have known? But I was late to that train. So I graduated <laughs> from UC Berkeley uh, as an ethnic studies and educational policy. I thought I was gonna be a teacher which was a great thing. I love teaching. I love that one-to-one. -one. I love inspiring. I love all that part. And I wanted to do inner cities, getting more people, diversity into higher education, did all that. Went for a year volunteering and I was awful at it. Awful in that I could not stop focusing on that one child that was left behind, if that makes sense. Like mm -hmm. I know how to do one-on-one. -on -one. I could not do a classroom of 30. Whoever's a teacher out there, amazing work. Because how do you focus and love so many kids or inspire so many kids? I have no idea. Mm -hmm. So I'm like finishing college. Now I don't want to be a teacher. I don't know what to do with my life. So I'm bartending, like one should do when you're in your 20s, you know, yeah. trying to live up in the Bay Area. And I decided to take um, those like uh, self-reflective tests, like what you should be when you grow up kind of thing. I don't remember the test. Now everyone focus about personality tests, but back in the like 
early 2000s. I don't know what the test was called. Funny enough, the top three things was teacher and then nursing. And so that opened to my idea like, oh, what is nursing? Like, what do I really want to do that? And of course, someone who's never exposed to the medical field, I'm like, am I going to be cleaning butts? Am I going to be like, you know, you just think that's all nursing is, right? And so I'm like, okay, let me talk to someone. So I talked to someone really quickly that was a nurse and um, it was my roommate's boyfriend's mom. And she worked in the military. So she was like a VA nurse and she kind of talked about it. And I was like, okay, this is interesting. Never took any science courses, none in high school, none in college, because I was more of this like liberal art type of person. So then I was like, I guess I have to start taking science classes. Maybe I'm good at this. Maybe I'm not. And so I was going to start like completely over. Yes. Second degree. Nursing is my second degree. Me going back to college, doing all the science courses, science courses all over again, and then trying to get into a, a nursing program. But since I already had a bachelor's, there's a thing. Do I go and get an associate's? And at the time, maybe I was just lucky in 2008, 2009, they were having a lot of programs of second degree nursing programs where you could get a bachelor's again in nursing. So I did. I did at Cal State Northridge, which was an amazing program, 15 months because it's accelerated because I'm just missing the the nursing uh, perspective of that, you know, the science courses and all that. And then, well, bam, there I go into the nursing thing. And who would have known that test? I'm, and not to toot your own horn, but I'd love this profession. I am good at this profession. Who would have known that test would have opened a world that I was like naive to? And now, of course, I want to make everyone do what I do, right? I was like, you have to be a nurse. But (laughs) it was my thing. Maybe it's not other people's thing, but it was my thing. Well, I have to tell you, these are my favorite stories. Mm. These are my favorite stories of people who are like, you know what? I'm not sure, but I'm going to be open and I'm going to try X. I'm going to try Y. I'm going to try Z. Let me take this personality test. Let me see what it comes back as. And you had, and then, like you said, who knew that that would completely, you know, change your direction, but not for the worst, for the absolute best. And you have found your calling and something that you absolutely love. I think that's amazing. I love it. I love it. And I think, you know, and everyone says that every part of my journey so far has made me become a better nurse. I think going and getting my first degree, becoming a bartender, no lie, being in the service industry got me so prepared for nursing that I'm like, oh, I got this. So every little thing, as much as I wish I would have known when I was 20, I wanted to be a nurse. I don't know if I was ready when I was 20, right? When you're 18, those young nurses that come out, I I salute you. I don't know if I was I had it in me at that age, but definitely in my late 20s. And I think I finished at 30 years old becoming a nurse, right? And it was perfect timing for me at that time. Well, see, I'm just like you because this was my second degree mm-hmm. as well. And I did the accelerated uh, program at Georgetown. And I was in my early 30s when I graduated. And there's something about, I don't know, this extra life experience that just adds a little color to your perspective and um, how you view things, how you, you know, view working, how you view working as a nurse, how you view other people. I think it's just, I wouldn't say better or worse, just different. Yeah. Okay. So you graduate nursing school. Congratulations. Thank you. Right. It was a tough journey. Those 15 months was like chaos, but I did. Yes. So what did you do first? So 
funny enough, I went into nursing and I, you know how you go into nursing school? I think a lot of people out there be like, oh, I know for sure I'm an ED nurse. Oh, I know for sure I'm a labor delivery nurse. That was me. I went in, I'm like, oh, I'm going to deliver babies in this world. That's what I'm meant to do. And so when I was in there, my amazing friend, Gail, was, um, she knew she wanted to do pediatrics forever. And she's like, are you sure you don't want to do pediatrics? And I was like, no, I want to deliver babies. Like, that's all. And I mean, I did have a teacher background, so I knew I am good with kids. I am the youngest of seven. So I have like nieces of my ears, right? Like being around kids was not nothing different or weird for me, but I wanted to deliver babies. And so then in nursing school, she's like, you know, you should just do the rotation in pediatrics in this like children's hospital. And I was like, all right, fine. So I knew she said, you should do pediatrics rotation at this children's hospital in Los Angeles. And I was like, all right, fine. You know, sometimes they wanted to give those spots. There's only what, seven spots sometimes in a nursing program, like where you get to go to certain hospitals. Right. And I was like, all right, I'll, I will say I'm interested so I could get one of those spots. No lie, the minute I walked into the hospital, I knew that pediatrics and that hospital was where I needed to be. Yeah. That's another weird thing, right? Like you, you go in with this plan in your life of like, oh, I'm going to be a labor and delivery nurse. But the minute I walked into those doors, I knew this is where I belong. The minute in my first day rotation as a student was in the cardiac ICU. The minute I walked in and I saw that one patient, I was like, oh my God, this is where I want to work. Everything was just like, it was just opening and it was always an aha moment. Like, this is it. This is it. Went from labor to delivery to like, no, no, I, I'm going to do cardiac ICU. The minute I saw that newborn baby, with, which sounds morbid, but his chest was left open. I was like, what are we doing in medicine? Like, this is amazing. Not that I think it's amazing that this child is suffering, but like, where do we get that this is how we save lives? It's still to this day. I'm, I've been a nurse for 13 years in the cardiac ICU and pediatrics, and I'm still amazed at every little thing we do, because how do we get here and how do we keep doing saving lives, right? Like this is a privilege. And I tell every person, it's a privilege that I get to do this job. And it's a privilege that I have these skills and this knowledge and the passion, like you said, that I found it. I could have completely been in a different path, but I did Pixar. Thank you. Yeah, I would have been. I mean, I would have loved Pixar too, let's be real. Right, right, right. <laughs> Uh, but I'm happy here too. It's there's no regret. There's no like, you know, uh, yeah, there's no regret in my decision. So then there you go. Pediatric nurse. I have to do cardiac ICU. Cardiac ICU. Okay. And I don't know if we mentioned this already, but I, when I heard that you were an ECMO nurse, I was like, ECMO what? You mean not a technician, not a perfusionist. There's nurses that do this. Cause at the hospital I worked at in DC, we were in the ICU and I was, actually a lot of post LVADs, BIVADs, um, heart transplants, that sort of thing. Sometimes they would be on ECMO. And so my experience with ECMO was there was a perfusionist there. They would draw some labs. I was responsible for getting the flashlight out to look at the tubes to see if there was white stuff on it, because if there was white stuff, it meant that there were clots possibly, and I needed to tell someone. Yeah. That's what I knew. And other than that, do not touch it. Yeah. <laughs> that was yeah. Experience. So how did you, so, so you were in the cardiac ICU. How did you learn about ECMO for nurses? I mean, this doesn't seem common. Tell us no, your journey. It isn't. And once again, really weird experience of so back to nursing school my instructor for pediatric worked at children's hospital of la she worked in the ed um very impactful person unfortunately she's not with us anymore but she then brought her colleagues which is a 
another thing of being exposed to different things is because you hear it from somewhere else, right? It's the exposure. It's like knowing people. It's networking. Because she had been a nurse already working in a hospital, she brought in her colleague who worked with Gina in transport. And she came in and did a lecture about transport, right? Like that's what she experienced. And she met, I'm not even lying, for two seconds, mentioned ECMO. And I was like, what is she talking about? Right. So I stayed over after our lecture and I went up to her and I was like, you need to tell me what this ECMO thing is. Like, what is it? She's like, oh, you know, we put kids on that. And she kind of gave me this like rough explanation. It's like a bi bypass machine. And at that moment, at the beginning of my nursing, I was like, oh, I need to do that. So I, the steps led me to it with me not really knowing. So I went into the cardiac ICU and then I get exposed. They start doing ECMO there. Mm -hmm. And at the place I work with at Children's, they've done ECMO and nurses have been doing ECMO there for the past, I think, 30 years, if I'm not mm -hmm. quoting. They've been doing ECMO all that whole time. So in that institution, it, it was very common for nurses to do it. Okay. So there's three ICUs and then all of them would do their, their patient population that needed ECMO. So I went in already knowing, or at least seeing it and then only knowing, oh, I wanna do that more. And I definitely wanna do that. So that's how I got introduced. And then I saw it once I started working in the ICU. Wow, okay. So is it something where they advertise positions? A position is open for an ECMO nurse. Right. Yes. So our my history with the ECMO experience was at one point in our institution, every ICU did their own ECMO. Right. Okay. So the, there after experience, you would have to be doing bedside for a while. You would have to then, you know, sometimes apply, be kind of selected, like seeing that you were ready to take care of the highest acuity patient. And the same, like you said, we had LVADs in there. We had Berlin. We had all these things that kind of were prepping you to this external device that's, you know, not connected to the patient, but connected to the patient that you're monitoring. And eventually you stepped up to doing ECMO. And so then maybe just five years ago, our, our place decided to create a whole ECMO department. Okay. So that's the new thing. And I think that's the like more exciting part of it now is that we have our own department and now we're responsible for the entire hospital's ECMO. Oh. So then I had to apply for that uh, position. And now our team is maybe less than 18 people, nine on day shift and nine on night shift. And all we do is ECMO. How are you scheduled? Is it like three days a week, like a regular nurse, days and nights? Yep. So it's uh, three, you know, we do part-time. The only two positions is full-time and part-time. So you could either do six shifts in a two-week span, or for us, we're allowed to do five shifts. So I do five shifts in a two-week span, two-week span, and they're 12 hours each one. So a day shift and a night shift. So 7 to 7.30 is where we normally run. We also have the opportunity to do on-call. So there's a lot of on-call. So there's also that ability to do um, where you're just at home right? and you have to offer yourself if anything happens that you go in. Okay. And so when you apply for the position, I'm sure they have experience requirements, education requirements, maybe. What were their requirements? So for our hospital at before COVID, right now there's like the shortage. Before COVID, I think we had to, you had to add a bachelor's to be working on an institution. So therefore, there was this bachelor's expectations for this position as well. I think post COVID and us trying to get more staff, I think we might be kind of holding that right now and just trying to get staffed in. But you definitely need the ICU experience, at least three years of ICU experience. At least three years. Okay. Yeah. But we will train there ourselves. That's the other thing. You don't have to come with experience with ECMO. Oh. Uh, we will train because it's so specific, right? Like no one's going to come with that experience, really. If you look at maybe, and I'm just ballparking, there might be seven hospitals that do where 
like nursing staff and respiratory department, respiratory therapists will run the ECMO departments. There's less than a dozen, I would say, in, in the US. So to expect someone to come with experience is kind of very difficult. So we would train there. So you could be trained in if you if you get if you're interested in if you look in one of these hospitals that have their already uh, department ECMO department. All right, you're clocking in for your shift at seven a.m. Yes. What is it? Are you assigned patients? Are you assigned a floor? How does it work? So right now, what it is, if there is ECMO in the house, so there's someone that's connected to this machine, then I we then get assigned to be sitting on the machine because for us the practice is you have to you have to have a specialist to be looking at the machine, twenty four seven, right? For like how you said, for you to look if there's any clots, for you to manage giving medications to prevent from clot formation. You know, you have to constantly be keeping an eye on it. And we didn't really explain too much what ECMO is. So let me yeah, like try to explain a little bit what that is because we're kind of yeah. just throwing this lingo around. I know we might have some really new nurses um, or those in nursing school. What is ECMO, Rosina? ECMO, it stands for extracorporeal membrane, membrane oxygenation which is a lot of words, right? So you've mentioned other, other, other devices, all that. We have already had devices that we will have uh, blood being pumped out of the body and being returned. What makes ECMO different from that is that this part has an oxygenation. So we bypass the heart and we could bypass the lung. The machine has something equipped in there that is pumping. So we call that the heart. And it has a device connected to that will oxygenate. So what we can normally do is remove CO2 and add oxygen to the blood before it returns to the body. So it's it's like saying bypass, which is why you kept using the word perfusionist. Perfusionists are the ones that do bypass. They are their own training, right? And they're the ones that are in the operating room that connects someone to a to this machine so surgeons could do heart surgery or lung surgery or whatever you need to be done, right? Mm -hmm. So perfusionists are the ones that do bypass. If for whatever reason you're not able to, and there's a, a many reasons why someone needs to have this machine, if you then need to have give your organs time to recover, like your lungs or your heart, you could go on ECMO. So it's not the same in that the fact it doesn't look the same as a bypass machine, but in theory, it runs the same. We are removing some blood out of the body. We are then oxygenating it or pumping it back into the body. And so that at that point, we could technically give the heart and the lungs rest so it could heal itself. So we do call it end of life end of life approach, right? This is at the end. There's nothing else we could do. So we will give this device time to heal, sometimes time to find out what's wrong, right? Sometimes we don't know what's wrong with the body. Sometimes we need to do more diagnostic testing. Maybe we need to go back and do more surgery. And sometimes this machine is used to buy uh, for a bridge for you to get a heart or a lung transplant. Okay. So for example, maybe this is a simplistic example, but a patient's in the OR, they're, you know, working on the heart and lungs. They have them on bypass. They try to get them off a of bypass and it's unsuccessful. The heart isn't working. The lungs aren't working something. And they're like, okay, we have to get off bypass because we have to get out of the OR, but let's put them on ECMO. Do they place ECMO in the OR or is that bedside? So you had, you bring in a very good point. An amazing part about our department now is that they allow the nurses to prep the ECMO machine to go on ECMO. So now we take over that role as well. 
So now our whole entire team consists of specialists and what we use the term primers. There's only six primers, three on day shift and three on night shift that their job, and this is what I do, I'm a primer. So when you ask me when I clock in, what am I doing is I'm clocking in, but my sole job really is to be available if anyone needs to go on ACMA. So I myself am trained by perfusionists and by our department, you know, by a lot of different uh, venues to be able to set the machine ready by putting blood in it, putting some medications in it, getting it ready. So then with the surgeon, us both together could then connect it to the, to the patient. So when you ask what could this happen? Yes, one of them is going to be in the OR. You explain someone had surgery, they can't come off for surgery. They're going to make that transition from the bypass onto this ECMO machine. But if someone's in the ICUs and we have three ICUs, if any of those kids decompensate, well, then they'll call us. They will call me. They'll page us. They'll call us and say, hey, we're going to activate ECMO. We need to put this child on ECMO. So then my role at that point is to activate all these different steps to get that machine ready. We still need surgery, right? We still need the surgeons because they are the ones that will make the cut, make the insertions, insert excuse me, the insertion of the tubes and connect it to the ECMO machine and then we'll run it after that. So my role is both. One is now I'm the person that's getting the machine ready. And then two, I'm there for my specialist when they're sitting on the pump to manage and help and manage, manage the pump. Interesting. So let's say, could you come to work and one day you're the primer and then the next day you're a nurse that's at bedside or those two different yes. roles and it changes depending on what shift? Correct. So depending on our staffing and our needs in the hospital, let's say there's no ECMO on. Well, we still need a primer every single time. So there's still someone in-house that needs to be available. Because the other thing you know in working in a cardiac ICU is that there is cardiac arrest. And one way to really help and have better outcomes is to be able to have ECMO available for you to, to be able to cannulate them and preserve any mainly brain injury, right? The lack of oxygenation to their brain and to help preserve their heart is you will put them on ECMO right away. So anyone that has a cardiac arrest in the ICU, 90% of the times are gonna go on to ECMO right away. So that urgency of us needing be need to be available is really important, right? And now we could get someone onto an ECMO machine pretty fast if there's someone in house to do it. So if there's no ECMO now, then our roles are still the same. I'm still a nurse. I'm there's still respiratory therapist, and so then we get floated. So okay. then we're kind of slash floated float department. We get floated to the units, the three ICUs. We only get floated wherever wherever ECMO goes. So okay. for us, it would be the cardiac ICU, pediatric ICU, and the NICU. Now we are get to cho we each have our chosen home units like where we specialize and we get go to go we get to go back to those home units. So if I'm not a primer, if excuse me, if I'm that shift, I either go in as a primer and I'm there waiting for an emergency. I'm an ECMO specialist. So if it's my turn, then I sit on the pump and I manage the pump. And if I'm not one of those things, then I go back to the cardiac ICU and I'm doing bedside nursing. Oh man, I, I'm sure there are periods where you're floated more often than not. And pe no, 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 no. You know what? I thought the same thing was going to happen. I'm a little weird in that I like data and I like tracking stuff. My two years joined this department, I tracked everywhere I went. I tracked everything I did. And the percentages was really interesting. I did 50%. 50% I was at doing pump. 
like actual ECMO specialist. Another 10 or 20 is when I was doing that charge position. And I think only 20 or 30%, I was floated to the ICU. Okay. That's good to know. I, a little side note, I was a traveler. I took, tra- took a travel assignment up to Sacramento and it was an ICU nurse. I was like, Oh, awesome. Well, they failed to tell you that you're, you are going to float 99% of <laughs> Yes. <laughs> you, surprise. <laughs> yes. Okay. So you don't really float that often. No, now that we have home units per se, like now, since I, my, my, my foundation and my knowledge comes as a cardiac ICU, I get, go, get to go back to the cardiac ICU. We do ask if anyone does want to apply and join and go through this journey, you do have to do like a year or two of you floating through the, all three ICUs. And it's very important. You need to know your po- population that you're going to be serving, right? Like you just managing ECMO. This is why I love ECMO, ECMO so much. I, Obviously I'm responsible but for the machine, but I like to know the whole patient, right? For me, it's everything. I know every single drip. I know every single medication. I know everything that's going on with the vent. I know the entire body and I know my circuit. I think that is better for the outcome of the patient is that you see them all connected. It's really easy and not to put down perfusionists because they're, um, I mean, they do what they do, but I've, believe that total care, right? That's a lot of a nursing part of us. It's just the whole total care of this patient. I know they tell us to divide our roles, right? Like you're only the nurse, you're the respiratory therapist, you're the ECMO specialist, but it's us doing everything together. I think that makes the outcomes better for the patient. So I look at, I mean, that's the way I approach it. I go in there and I look at it as the whole body is my responsibility. So I feel you having to do all three ICUs because you need to know all these populations of why you put them on ECMO and how to make the recovery overall good. And I'm talking about from eyes to ears, from no, I mean, people are just sitting there and laying there for two weeks, up to a month on this machine, no mobility. So you're looking at legs, like every part of their body to make sure that you're protecting everything besides the machine that we're trying to protect and heal, which is the heart and the lungs. I like looking at that whole body. I like looking at the whole encompassing all of it. And ECMO ECMO allows me to do that. Well, and I wonder, I mean, honestly, I don't know what perfusionists know or what they don't know. I don't know what their schooling is like, but I do know what nurses know. And if you've been an ICU nurse, you're going to understand. And now you're the ECMO nurse. You're going to understand exactly what they're talking about with every drip, with every diagnosis, every wound, every um, di- you know, CT, MRI, whatever it is that needs to happen, uh, not to mention, you know, RT, you're going to know that. And there's no way it can't help the patient and help um, obtain better outcomes. And I wonder, you might know this, is that why, I don't know there's a push for ECMO nurses, but is that why nurses have been introduced into this ECMO role more than perfusionists or no? Good question. I don't know. I never even asked that question because like I said, the institution I went to, it was always nurses. I didn't even know perfusionists did ECMO. I'm completely opposite than you. I went into an institution that I was like, oh, nurses always did ECMO. And then I'm talking to the world and obviously no one knows what ECMO is. But then when you even start talking to other nurses, they're like, what is that? And so it's only by talking to other people that you realize, oh, it's it's more of a perfusionist role. And before the ECMO department, perfusionists would have to be called in to activate and put someone on ECMO, right? So now you're calling all these, you know, OR surgeons and a perfusionist and all those people need to come in to put someone on ECMO. 
and and I don't know. And that's a very good question. I actually want to start asking, like, what made them to decide to allow or, you know, make nurses be the ones to sit the pump? To me, it makes complete sense. And I think even perfusionists, they, they don't want to sit and just sit there and watch a machine. They, their training is OR too, right? Their training is like being in the operating room. So for an R, in our institution, our perfusionists say, thank you that you guys are doing like we would like it that you guys run the machine it should be you guys but who knows who knows who made the decision and I'm glad they did though right (laughs) thank god right so when you're not the primer and you're the nurse that's running the pump and you come on shift you're like okay there's an ECMO patient you're going to be the one running the pump today what do you do are you drawing labs are you um, applying medications do you have your own standing orders or do you have to get that from the critical care doctor how does it work we do have a we have a ECMO protocol like standing orders they activate those and those give us standing orders so we go in and obviously like bedside nursing you have all these emergency checklists right like in your head you have to go down and be like do I have all these things in here or case, worst case scenario. And that's every ICU's head, right? You go in there thinking, worst case scenario, what am I going to do? What am I going to solve? Do I have these things to, to like intervene? Same thing with ECMO. We go in there and we go do all these emergency checklists. Do I have these all these items around me to troubleshoot this machine? And then after that, it's an hourly check. I mean, it's all constantly looking at the monitor. These monitors are constantly giving you live feeds of the amount of flow that's going through these cannulas. So how much much support you're providing. It's constantly giving me numbers of pressure changes between these cannulas. So if anything's going to go wrong. And then it's also running numbers constantly, how much of the CO2 I'm removing and how much oxygen I'm giving in. So most of our job is staring, which sounds a little (laughs) bit, but it's not. It's ICU, right? We're staring at the monitors all the time. We're checking heart rates. And and it's a good nurse that checks and notice that the heart rate has changed by 10 points that you know to prevent something, right? So the ECMO machine is the same thing. It's talking to us all the time. It's giving us data. It's giving us numbers. Our job is to sit there and see those small little increment changes to be like, hey, something's happening. So there's that live feed of the machine. The other thing is to keep the machine in it's integrity. And what is that? That means that it can't clot on me. If this thing's clot, clots, it's not going to be doing what it needs to be. And some of these patients that are connected are completely dependent on it, which means if this machine stops working, it will lead to a cardiac arrest event. And this kid is going to be dying on the bed instantly. So for that, for that, we need to anticoagulate that machine. So now you're talking about medications out there that we mostly know is heparin. So now it's us managing heparin that's connected to the machine for us to make sure are we allowing it to not clot? Is it anticoagulating effectively, but not too much that it's going to affect my patients? So it's a very thin line, right? A very thin balance, as all medicine is, of when you cause harm and when you're actually helping. So then we run labs every six hours to check those numbers to see if we're in a correct state. And then what would be our last thing? I think it's checking the tubing, like we said, the medication. And another thing is providing the right amount of blood products. Mm. That's probably the biggest part in their standing orders. And they give us a guideline of where they want all our clotting factors to be. Our crit level, hematocrit, our platelet level, our fibrinogen levels, like all those to give us a range of where they think it's the best to keep our circuit surviving. And of course, allow the patient to also be hemodynamically like stable. So then we're checking those values every six hours to see if we need to replace more 
of those products, you know, because if you think about it, I mean, we're putting like a three kilo patient on ECMO. Let's say that kid is six pounds. The machine itself takes about 250 mLs of blood to get it ready to connect. So we're diluting that child out completely of a lot of its clotting factors. So with little kids, there's more of that blood product repletion that you have to feed the machine. Oh, we, and we do kids up to 25 because we're pediatrics. We do up to like adults, right? Adults, you don't have to do that much, right? It's that 200 mLs that it takes to prime that circuit is a glass of water. It, it's not going to do that much to their internal body for us to have to manage. So in that case, it might just be watching the machine. Little kids, it's a little bit more um, managing, I guess you can say. Yeah. This is so fascinating. I had no I idea. I talk about it forever. Love it. Oh, you, that's I said, amazing. I could talk about it forever. I love, love ECMO. And, it, and it's not right because it is one of the scariest things. It is the one of the scariest things for, for a family or anyone to have to put on. I look at, and, and I'm probably leading to other conversations here, but a lot of our department has to deal with death. We're looking at survivability of if we're lucky, 50% of the patients we put on, 50 will survive, 50% won't. So there's some times where we're like, every single person we put on is not surviving. And so a lot of our, our staff have to deal with end of life issues, right? And that at any time you have to figure out how am I gonna balance this because it will affect you. And I'm not gonna deny it doesn't affect us. I don't know where, at what point of my ICU experience of where I am at now, but I don't look at it as like us of these patients dying on us and maybe this is a self-preservation thing that I do but I look at it they're already dead mm. they were already dying they were dying me coming in in our department coming in is giving giving the ability of giving someone hope and hopefully we'll or save them to me that is like such privilege and such an honor to be able to have that skill to be like we're gonna try everything. And this is everything right now that we could do to save your child. We're gonna come in and we're gonna try to do this. So I think since I look at it, that they're already, there's no hope for them, right? Like being able to give someone hope is a very encouraging or powerful place to be. Yeah, that gave me chills. You're like, we're gonna come here and let's give them a chance. Yeah, let's, let's give them a chance. chance. Yeah. I love that. So nurses listening, if yeah. they're interested in- they are as passionate as you are. What would you recommend for them to do if they want to get into ECMO nursing? You know, I see you. I see you definitely is the way to go in. You have to go into ICU. I think you need that critical thinking part, right? That ICU kind of preps. And I, I apologize. I completely only talk of never do, doing any other type of nursing. So I am coming obviously very naive in that all I know is ICU. So obviously I think this is the only answer, but it might not be out there, you guys. There's probably a lot of possibilities to do this. I know for me and what I've seen the strongest specialists at this time are those that have ICU experience. And we're talking about a very high trauma level ICU. And, and this is what I feel like I've been thinking about in the last couple of days of how to answer this is that I... I don't think it's so much that you need to know everything that an ICU nurse knows, but it's impossible. 
Right. And, and COVID and everything has taught us like science and medicine changes so fast. We're always going to be hit by something new. We're right. always going to be exposed to some mutant medicine, new disease, new technology, something new. So to say that I need you or that you need to go to the ICU because you need to know that knowledge. I don't think that's what it is. ICU is not just necessarily the knowledge. I think that ICU helps you with being efficient, right? Being fast at tasks. So if the floor does that or whatever you work at makes you be really fast and efficient, great. I think what ICU helped for me is, is the ability to ask questions. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's not that I need to know the answer. I never need to know the answer. That is not my job sometimes. That's a doctor. That's why there's like a lot of these geniuses around me. What I get got power over time and what I think I got from being an ICU nurse is asking questions. Is that I knew what question to ask. I knew what question to ask to make this patient hopefully get better because I'm probing them. And I'm probing people like, why is this happening? Have we looked at this? Have we thought about this? So it was the ability to me being able to critically think and asking questions, I think is that what we need in ECMO, right? Because it's, it is, we're learning every single day how to, how to even manage ECMO. You have to be the one to come in and want to ask questions. Why are we doing this? Have we thought about X, Y, and Z? Yeah. So if you could get that somewhere that's not ICU, great. I just need that critically thinking part of you going to always ask questions. And I don't need you to know the answer. I need you to know how to ask the question and wanting to ask questions. Because that's I literally at, at times it's me, I, not against, but it's me talking to the critical care team and my specialist for all of us to come up with a solution or trying to figure out what to do next. So it's that um, not confidence, right? But that ability to be able to uh, be able to stand up to your patient, stand up for your patient, right? And be the one that could ask these critical thinking questions. I think it is a confidence in that if I don't know, I'm okay with that. Completely. Find out. Yeah, exactly. And then you go about finding out and then you come back with a solution and then you've learned and everyone around you has learned and asking, it's the confidence that asking questions doesn't make me dumb or doesn't make me look bad. I mean, I guess some people might think that, but ignore those people. Right. <laughs> Just ignore they them. Don't. No, that's exactly it. I am uh, 13 years later. I'm still saying like, I don't know, actually, I do not know that. I'm okay. I don't know that, but guess what? We're going to find out together. You're going to look up something. I'm going to go get the manual. I'm going to go pull up. Like I'm literally pulling a manufacturer manual, like the I've always been a nerd where you get, you know, your iPhone and you actually read the manual. Who reads the manual? No one wants to read the manual. Rosina <laughs> reads the manual. <laughs> I read the manual. I mean, not, I don't even read anything in my home's manual, but anything that comes in that's ECMO and it's part of a tubing, it's part of a connection, it's part of something. I'm going to read that manual. I need to read it. How else am I going to learn this? How else are we going to learn this? Is if you're, you're that person that's going to ask a question and I'm going to investigate. Sometimes I don't, don't know the answers and sometimes no one around me knows the answers, but we only get better if someone is willing still to ask like, Hey, I don't know. And we need to like research this or we need to find out more. Yeah. That's what I love about our profession. I feel like nurses in general are figure it out sort of people. Mm -hmm. I don't mm -hmm. know, but we're going to figure it out. Yeah. So Rosina, I feel like we've come full circle because you told me in the beginning yeah. that when you were teaching, you loved the one-on-one -on -one, and here you are nursing one-on-one. -on -one. Completely. Full circle, right? And that's what I'm going to tell you. Who would have known? Like, I would have not known that nursing allows me to be a teacher. I'm an amazing teacher. Not 
once again, tooting my horn. I love teaching new nurses. I love teaching people to ECMO. I get to spend that one-on-one -on -one with every single person that comes to the pump. Even parents, parents ask questions all the time. I was like, oh, you wanna know? I'll teach you right now. Let's talk about your child's you know, heart defect. Let's talk about this machine. Whatever you wanna know, I am here to explain it to you. And I get to live that out still. I get to completely live out all my teaching dreams on that one-to-one. One to one, baby. One to one. And then we're being spoiled. California, we have we have nursing ratios. We do. Yes. do not. So I do get to have the one to one. Well, Rosina, thank you so much. I learned so much. I, I have to believe other nurses learned something too. And um, I'll give them some tips and tricks at the end of it here. But thank you so much for coming on. Thanks. That's so much fun. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Black Sheep Nurse Podcast. If you want more, head on over to blacksheepnurse.com for show notes and resources from today's episode. You can also join our email list and the website and have the link to weekly notes delivered directly to your inbox. And if you're looking for more everyday fun and community, join us on Instagram at blacksheepnurse.